Amen. Well, good morning to you. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors here. Um, and I also would like to say thank you. Um, before I dive into scripture this morning, um, thank you for bearing with us today. Um, thank you for, we're, we're doing everything we can um, to make sure that we figure out parking. Um, I know right now the chapel is full. In fact, this is something I never do, but the chapel right now, can you, can you cheer for Jesus allowing us for, for this room to hear you? No. <laughs> Could you hear them? Okay, well, maybe they'll get louder next time. Um, and uh, just thank you for bearing with us. We know that's full. We know the part. And we're trying to figure it out. That's something you can be praying about. Um, but, man, um, God is blessing. But it's for his word and for his glory. Amen? Um, and that's really important for us. So, um, everybody get ready. Go ahead and just stand up with me. Stretch a little bit. We have spiritual exercise to do today. So just get ready, literally, because this is why we're going to be hitting the entire event of the Passover today, um, all in one sermon, um, and uh, some crazy guy decided to do that, um, so we're going to be flying, so literally I was just backstage doing push-ups, um, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I need, I need spiritual exercise. So everybody, are you ready for the Word of God today? Yeah? You may be seated. I didn't see anybody doing push-ups, but that's okay. Um, go ahead and turn. We're in a series with Exodus, uh, and we've been walking through something called the plagues. Um, and uh, the last two weeks we've been doing it, we covered plagues one through four the first week, last week five through nine. This week we hit the final plague. It's the tenth plague. And that's what we're going to be hitting. Um, it's primarily found in Exodus chapter uh, 12. But we're going to begin with the very end of Exodus chapter 10 very, very quickly this morning. Um, because this is important to recognize, to see the, the motion, the movement of what God is doing here in the Word of God. Um, the very end of Exodus chapter 10. So we do. We have Old, New Testament. You've got the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is the first Five books of the Old Testament. Starts with Genesis, of course, creation. Um, and then we jump into Exodus. Um, we know that the, you've got the people of God, the Israelites, who are living now in slavery or captivity in Egypt. All right, and some of you are going, I, I know all this, I know all this. I'm going to keep saying this stuff because this is the basic stuff. Remember, I'm walking through this series trying to teach you exactly what I expect all my kids to know when they leave home. That's what we're t I'm trying to do. I, I, there's a base understanding, a foundational piece to the Word of God. So that's what we're trying to do. So at the very end of Exodus chapter 10, this is after the ninth plague, which is darkness. It tells us, last two verses, 28, 29, Then Pharaoh said to him, Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt. He considers himself to be a deity. All right? But, of course, our God's about to punch him in the face. Amen? It's fun. It's so cool. Um, for us, not for him. So Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. So after, this is the 10th plague. How many were before 10? Nine. Smart people get that, right? So nine plagues every single time. We know that God has been defeating a smaller God for Egypt. They had a lot of gods. And every time God steps in, defeats one of them, and he says, Pharaoh is so frustrated 
at this point, he says, get away from me. Take care of it and never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And so Moses says, as you say, I will never see your face again. In Hebrew, I think this is Moses going, praise the Lord. I don't have to look at your ugly mug anymore. Right? He's just like, good. It was me last day of school. When, year, like, when I graduated six, seven years ago, and... I'm going, man, last day of school, like, I was just happy. It has nothing to do with teachers. It had to do with the subjects. Um, and I'm like, okay, I just want to get out. I wanted to be done with school. I was so excited. Well, now Moses is excited, right? He's like, I don't have to see this guy ever again. So we see this. And then in chapter 11, we see some other things unfolding. Remember, every plague is directed against an Egyptian lowercase g god. They all show God's power. But also what we're going to have to remember as we jump into chapter 11 and then chapter 12 primarily is that when we look at the Passover, this is something that is more important than just for Jewish people of Jewish faith to, to remember. They do celebrate it every year with Passover Seder. They've been celebrating this for nearly 3,500 years. We're getting into the significance for us because this is what we have to know is that this is a foreshadowing of the sending of Jesus to deliver everybody who claims his name from captivity. Greatest event in all of humanity, the giving of God's son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, but then to conquer death. Yes? It runs parallel to this. It matters, guys. So sometimes, this is what happens in the church today, is I think that we have this idea that, hey, God loves you. And if you agree with what I say, I just want you to say yes. God loves you. God gave his son Jesus. He died and conquered death. We have a great life eternally. That's all true. But there's more to know. And what we fail to recognize is sometimes we are going to just certain places, we're listening, um, and what we're hearing is God loves you, just be your best person. And, and, and yeah, I want you to be your per- best person, but I don't want you to be who you want to be. I want you to be who God desires you to be. There's a big difference, guys. And so there's more to know from Scripture. There's more to know from the Word of God. Right? Anybody, uh, who loves football? All right, one of you. We are going to have a good team. (laughs) And we will know God's grace. Um, One day, Detroit Lions are going to win it all. Um, That means you haven't gotten over your bitterness. That's what that means. Um, You can love football. Guys, it matters nothing to eternity, but we can know what a, a quarterback's passer rating is and completions and touchdowns and Super Bowl wins and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, listen, fine and dandy, but don't we want to know more about what gives us eternal life? I mean, come on, this matters. This is going to matter a lot today. So we're going to see something that runs parallel to the greatness of who Christ is. This is the last, the Passover, the last plague is going to target Pharaoh, who once again considers himself to be a god in flesh, right? But he's a false god. We know that the Egyptians had a lot of gods. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures of gods. Um, the first god that you're going to see here is Osiris, god of the dead. So they had a god for just about everything. 
And these are gods that they would call out to. Um, but what we see over and over is that the one true God kept beating them up here until they just had nothing left. Another God that you're going to see here is Anubis. Anubis is God of death, the underworld, afterlife, right? And this is, these are pictures, these are drawings that they would have that they would be calling out to. These are the gods that Pharaoh would even be relying on. But over and over... Finally, Pharaoh is recognizing it's not working, which is why at the end of chapter 10, he says to Moses, the representative of God, a prophet, to say, I don't want to see you again because the next time I see you, you're going to be what? I'm going to kill you, yeah. Done. So this is what's taking place. Now, so one of the things that needed to happen is God is defeating all of these other gods. And he, it's almost as though he's having to do this in order to help the, even Egyptians recognize that they need to acknowledge the one true God. But in order for them to acknowledge that, they also, for anybody to acknowledge that, it's like they needed a cleansing. They needed a purging. They needed to recognize who their false gods were per, uh, currently in order to be able to move past that. So the question I would even have for you is what would our gods today look like that God would target, that we need to surrender, that we need to give up, that, you know, maybe it's physical image. Maybe it is uh, maybe perhaps where you live. Maybe um, it's the car you drive or the job you have, the title you have, right? Some people just want a title. If they don't have a title, they don't, they don't move forward. And some of those things end up being idols, which is a false god. It's anything that has greater, an idol is anything that in reality has greater impact, greater value, greater importance than God does. And so he's targeting these guys. Maybe God needs to target something in your own life. And we jump in to Exodus chapter 11, and he starts to threaten this plague. Now, uh, Exodus chapter 11 is only 10 verses. The first eight verses, I'm going to run through this very, very quickly. The, the first eight verses is really a summary of what we've already heard between Moses and Pharaoh. It's a summary of that. Um, we see it unfolding. It summarizes what Moses said to Pharaoh before Moses ever left. And then God says, hey, listen, there's going to be one more plague. This is the last one. So we see it in chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And afterwards, he will let you go from here finally because like the whole frog thing gnat thing darkness thing locust thing like please let us move on he says he will drive you away completely so speak now in the hearing of the people and he does this and what we see him doing is he starts to, to call out some things that we've already heard communicated between Moses to Pharaoh we see that in verse 3, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of Egyptians. We've heard it numerous times. There's a foretelling of it even in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14. But one thing that we, and then also throughout already up to this point in Exodus, it speaks about the Israelites being able to have the ability to plunder the Egyptians to get the means that they need. So he speaks about this. Hey, get ready in verse 3, 4, and 5. They're now going to go plunder. They're going to gain these gold, this gold, this silver from other from the Egyptians, uh, we see all of that happening. Verse 4, Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Now midnight in Hebrew just means in the middle of the night. So listen to this. He just says, hey, sometime in the middle of the night, every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. 
You had nine plagues. They were severe. They were harsh. But then we come to the last one that says that every single firstborn will die. And then it lets us know unless. Now, there's certain things that you have to process when it comes to this last plague. One, when it comes to Passover, this is the first one that hit Pharaoh himself in a very real way. You're going to see that. He would lose his firstborn. Right? Have you ever experienced something where it's impacting, when something that impacts others, you're like, oh, okay, maybe we should help. But when it impacts you personally, you have a greater, oh, no. Right? That's just what happens. Well, it's about to hit Pharaoh in a very real way. We, we need to understand this. It tells us every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne. There it is. Even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. So even the cattle. There is a consequence of rebelling against God. There is a consequence to sin. And he's letting us know what it is. There shall be a great cry. Listen, verse 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there has never been nor ever will be again. Wow. Verse 8, if you just keep going down, I told them to quickly, all these servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt, and in the last verse, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, remember, 20 times, if you haven't been here previously, 20 times in 10 chapters, it says that God hardened or gave a heavy. That's another word in Hebrew for the hardened heart is a heavy heart, a heart that is consumed with self and not open to anything else. That's what that means. Some of us have a hard heart, a heavy heart, a heart that is already, you've already predetermined the way your life should be used by God as though you are a God. And so when God doesn't do as you've already predetermined, you have a heavy heart. And so then you grow angry at God. That's a worldly pattern. That's a pattern of the flesh. That's a pattern of sin. So I told you in creation it starts, right? And it goes creation and then the fall, which is sin. We started living for self rather than living for God. And so here in this passage, we go, okay, so chapter 11, he's kind of prefacing all of this. And then what we see here is um, chapter 12. I, I want to give you a couple of nuances just about Passover, just about even Easter, about Seder that I think would be beneficial for you. What you're going to see is with this Passover, you're going to see a, the, the festival all right, of unleavened, or the feast of unleavened bread, you're going to see that here, and the festival of the Passover linked together, connected. So maybe you've heard of the feast of unleavened bread. I'll go ahead and tell you now, leaven is, is something that represents sin. It, it puffs up the bread in which it's in, and so that's, what sin, that's why it talks about the need for unleavened bread, because it's saying get rid of the leaven, Get rid of that that puffs you up rather than glorifies God. That's why we speak about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right? 
And then you also have Passover, in which God, for all those, this is what you're going to see. I'm just going to tell you now so you can follow along better. For all those who would go and take a lamb that is, that is, of, that is without blemish, without stain, they would try to find a lamb that is perfect. It says, go and take them, inspect them, and, and then kill them. You're going to eat the meat. Whatever you don't eat, you're going to discard. But you're going to take their blood, and you're going to put it on the doorpost of your home. The, the lintel of your home. Same thing. If you do that, the, the God, uh, death, death will pass over, pass over, will pass over your home. If you're willing to do that. Didn't make any sense to do that. So really it was a gesture of faith. Now as we walk through this. Know this. The Passover. This is the big thing you've got to understand. The Passover is so important. Because it parallels the most powerful act of God's deliverance. The giving of his son. The Passover parallels the most powerful act of God's deliverance, the giving of his son. They walk just like this. Now, the greater value is, of course, that of the son of God, right? But this is already preparing the way of understanding for the people to go, wow, this is the son of God. This is Messiah. This is who gave his life for us, the perfect lamb of God. We're going to see it over and over in this passage today. Because the basis... For your relationship with God, the basis for my relationship with God is the blood of an innocent victim. For them with Passover, for the Jewish believer, it was the blood of a lamb or a goat even. But more and more it just goes to lamb. You'll see that throughout history. And so it's important for us to go, ah, okay, now I get it. Passover, if I'm willing to call upon God, if I'm willing to recognize what he has done for me, and if I'm willing to have faith by letting other people know. Because trust me, when they're putting blood on the doorframe, it wasn't about God knowing that they were willing to do that. They were in Egypt. They were having to let Egyptians know, I believe in the one true God. That could have huge consequence, but it was about faith going, hey, I know this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it because I trust God. You're not, you're not ashamed of the God, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not ashamed of the gospel, so you're willing to let people know of the gospel and what you believe that that has done in your life. Now, another thing that happens, I, w- I want to just be clear, another little tidbit for you. So we always look at Passover coming in the spring, and sometimes people get confused with Passover and this thing that we celebrate called what? Easter. All right? So maybe you've heard of the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea is a bunch of scholars, theologians, etc. That in 325, okay, Council of Nicaea, N-I-C-E-A, the Council of Nicaea in 325, what they did is they came because they knew that we weren't celebrating, we didn't know the exact dates for everything. Just like, guys, guess what? December 25th is not actually Jesus' birthday. If you didn't know that, and that messes with you, I'm sorry, but I'm just speaking truth here. It is a day that, we, that was chosen to simply recognize and celebrate the birth of the Messiah. Same thing with Easter. Have you ever seen how Easter fluctuates when it is? Next year is August. I mean, April, August. It is not August. <laughs> it's, I'm trying so hard to throw out so much information right now. It's kind of crazy. Um, I think it's April 17th. The statue was April 4th. 
So it changes. Here's why. Council of Nicaea said they made a decision that Easter would be the first Sunday after the full moon, after or on the spring equinox. Well, Passover is on the full moon. It made, by doing that, what they were doing is making sure that they didn't overlap directly. So a whole lot of information for you, I know. But I'm certain I probably would have gotten that question later, so I shared it with you. Exodus chapter 12, running parallel to the most powerful act of God's deliverance, the giving of a son. And here's one of the first things that we see, is that the Passover is about to show us that death is a consequence of sin. I'm going to give you about four or five things here that really show you why it runs, that the, that the Passover runs parallel to the death of Jesus Christ. Okay? One, it shows that death is a consequence of sin. It shows that death is a consequence of sin. To the point of the magnitude of this is as it tells us in the first couple of verses that he gave them a new calendar. It should be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamp for a household. It's going to, they're even going to have a new calendar which represents the significance of what was really taking place here. That death is a consequence of their sin. There are other passages. You might want to write these down very quickly. The first one I want to tell you about is 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Um, it talks about cleaning out the old leaven that I've already mentioned to you. Right? For Christ, our Passover lamb, lamb has been sacrificed. Will you say just that portion? Read it with me. For Christ... Another passage would be Hebrews 7.27. It says... Hebrews 7.27, he sacrificed for sins once for all when he offered himself, right? John the Baptist, who, if you don't know, John the Baptist was the forerunner for the Messiah, for the birth of Jesus Christ. As soon as John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, he doesn't say the great one, which he was, but he, he, he called out that which he knew mattered so much. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Calls it out. 1 Peter 1.19. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. In the book of Revelation, over 20 times, over 20 times in the book of Revelation, it refers to Christ as the Lamb. Revelation 5, 6, I'll give you one. Then I saw a lamb looking as, as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. And what it's reminding us, what it's letting us know is that not only is the Passover showing that death is a consequence of sin, but that the lamb, Christ, is a substitute for our sin. We know that in chapter 12, and here's why, and this is where it's going to get really good. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, it says, um, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. So they were to take a, a lamb, no more than a year old, without blemish, and sacrifice that lamb. That is exactly, my friends, as a substitute, what Christ did for us. He came in, if you don't already know, right before Easter, we had this thing that starts Holy Week called Palm Sunday. Jesus Christ enters into Jerusalem through the gate. He comes in. And really what they did 
for those next four days, just like they were instructed to do here. For four days, come and inspect the lamb to make sure it's without blemish. Now, what they did to Jesus is they brought him in, and through questions and through the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, what they did is they questioned him. They were inspecting him. They found no fault. That's why that they accused him of blasphemy, but they had to do it in the middle of the night because they knew that there was no merit in order to do it. So just now, right, you're, you're getting me. Isn't this amazing? Because that's centuries and centuries before. And so here, you've got to take a lamb without blemish. They couldn't find any fault with Jesus. You shall keep it until, until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly, that's four days because it says get it on the 10th, take it to the 14th, assembly of the congregation, shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then you're going to take some of the blood, verse 7, you're going to put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. That's verse 7 and now verse 8. Guys, it's just one, it's one correlation after other. It tells us that they're going to kill them on the, at the ninth hour, which is also 3 p.m., when did Jesus breathe his last breath? Ninth hour, 3 p.m. The Lamb, Christ, is a substitute for our sin. And so they are instructed to take this blood and put it on the doorpost. It didn't make any sense, but it was an act of faith. It was an act of faith, it was an act of courage. And it was a sign for God to pass over their home to protect them. And the reason I say faith is that's another thing we, we, we do need to understand about Passover. The Passover is redemption for the person of faith. The Passover is redemption. This is, this is what Christ has done for us. That there is that consequence of sin that I mentioned but he has chosen to redeem you, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, who profess with their mouth that he is Lord. We tend to forget that part, by the way, because we don't actually have the courage to profess. But it says, for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, professing is a declaration of what you believe. If you remain silent about your faith, I would argue that you likely do not have faith. Or, you at least don't have faith in Christ, you have faith in something other than Christ. He tells them what, tells them what to do. He says, take this, eat it, don't let any of it remain though, the lamb. Verse 10, anything that remains you shall burn. Right? Here's what you do with your sandals, with your belt fastened, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For out, verse 12, for I will pass through the land that night and I will strike all the firstborn, this is important, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. This is one of the keys of the entire book of, uh, of Exodus. 12, 12. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood's going to be a sign for you so that I may pass over when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14 through 20 is a lot of instruction 
14 through 20 is a lot of details of the feast. For example, not to have that leaven for seven days. I told you leaven represents the sin. So he's saying, hey, no, 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 no. All right, that's why you've got the marrying of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Gives instructions of things to do, the first laws that are assigned, right? Before, um, Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, we'll get to that in a few years. Um, and one of the things that we learn is even before those commandments, here are the first laws assigned, is, hey, you need to do this. And so now for nearly 3,500 years, the people of Israel have been remembering, the people of God, the Jewish people, have been observing Passover Seder. A Seder meal to remind them, guys, you can, that's why in a little bit we're going to take communion. You cannot fully celebrate that from which you have been redeemed unless you know and are reminded of why you needed to be redeemed. And so he's saying, remember this. Make sure you know what this is. So he calls it out for him, And he's letting them know that the Passover, the Passover also shows that Christ is a substitute for our sin. The lamb's blood, as I already mentioned, is a protection. It goes back into this. Chapter 12 repeats a lot of different ways. So one of the reasons I'm not hitting you, going, he's, you're not getting quite all of no, it, it. It does repeat a lot, but it repeats for good reason because of the importance of it. We see it again in verse 23 through 27 when he starts speaking and he lets us know that the Passover shows Christ as a substitute for our sin. The lamb's blood was a protection for the household. That's why I say it like that. The lamb's blood was protection for a household. The word translated as the Lord passed over literally means that the Lord spared or the Lord protected. And so we know that this plague is going to bring death to all of the Egyptians and any Israelites, anybody who does not do as, as instructed. But I want to start reading for you. It tells us, verse 23, the Lord will pass through to strike down the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the doorpost, the Lord's going to pass over, will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. Goes down to verse 27. Finally, it says, The people did this, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. So the people of Israel went and did so. So the Lord commanded, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, they did. Verse 29, about midnight, somewhere in the middle of the night, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, all the livestock. Verse 30, and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Listen to this, please, 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 please. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. So finally he summons Moses in there and says, go, get out of here. Go away. Be gone. What we see here, guys, is the, the blood of Christ 
Because there's not a household without someone dead. The, the blood must be applied to our lives. We look at the institution of Passover. We look at all that's happening here. The plague hits. Pharaoh, the so-called deity, is now broken. The Egyptian deities, their false gods, have been dishonored. Talks about the journey that is about to begin. Does anybody here like rejection? Didn't think so. Nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes being looked over. But when it comes to death, I'll take being looked over. <laughs> yeah? One of the reasons we don't give the value to Passover, and even honestly, I don't think that the people of the church today in the Western culture, I don't even think we give much value to what Christ has done that we profess faith in. One of the reasons why is because as I was speaking about it last week, we don't recognize the depth of our sin, the enormity of our sin, what it actually means. We, know the, we don't know the cost of sin. But Romans 6.23 tells us very clearly what the cost of sin is. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, the cost, wages means cost. The cost of sin is what? Death. The cost of sin is what? One more time. The cost of sin is? We know what a shirt costs. Hey, I went shopping last night and bought a new shirt. I do actually have a new shirt on. You like it? 30 bucks. Right? And some of you just judged me. I can't believe he spent $30 on a shirt. Some of you judged me and said, I can't believe he only spent $30 on a shirt. Please give attention to what matters. We know what a house costs. Not too long ago, I bought some land trying to get some space and free air. Um, and... Uh, bought the land, I had to sell it because I didn't recognize that right now in West Michigan, did you know that build a house cost $147,000 per square foot? I had to sell the land. It's like, I don't have that kind of money. We know what a car cost. Drove up on one property the other day, sells cars, they didn't have anything on their land, on their property. It's gone. We know what all kinds of things cost, but guys, I don't think we know what our sin cost. Your sin cost the Son of God his life. How dare us for treating it so flippantly. Because of our sin, God chose to allow his son, the perfect lamb of God who was examined, even where he was born, Bethlehem, is literally where they would raise the lamb for Passover to be slaughtered in Jerusalem. That's where Christ was born. Do you not see the parallels? Your sin 
cost the Son of God his life. But yet God allowed his Son to give his life because he loves you so much. We need to remember what Christ has done for us. Because in remembering what Christ has done for us, we then have a greater celebration of what we have been freed from. Guys, you had eternal damnation. Now you have eternal life. Let's live like it. We have freedom. We were living in sin, in captivity, and God annihilated it. Instead of living according to self and living according to what you desire, God says, no, live according to my ways. And guess what? I'm going to defeat death for you. There has to be a consequence. I don't care. I know the world is saying there's no consequence. Do anything you want. There is a consequence for everything. And the consequence of sin is death. And yet God gave his son in order that we might have life. Passover. I praise God for it. And I praise God for what it means for our own life. Knowing the cost of our sin. And that he paid it in full. God, I come before you. We worship you and we praise you. We worship you. It tells us, God, in Exodus 12, after all of this is happening, it says that the people stopped and they worshiped you. God, we worship you. Amen.